You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in five, four, three, two. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This podcast is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals, Neurocrine Biosciences, and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today our guest is Dr. Sarah Tabrizi. She is the director of UCL Huntington's Disease Center, joint head of department neurodegenerative disease at the UCL Queen uh, Square Institute of Neurology, a principal investigator at the UK Dementia Research Institute, an honorary consultant neurologist at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery. She graduated in biochemistry, um, then studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh, Edinburgh, where she was awarded the 1992 Leslie Gold Medal for the most distinguished medical graduate. She undertook her PhD and trained as an independent scientist at UCL, establishing a large basic bench science and translational research team focused on finding disease-modifying therapies for Huntington's. She was PI on the first successful phase 1-2B trial of antisense oligonucleotide, um, most of us know that as ASO, and currently serves on several SAB's advising industry on the development of potential gene targeting and nucleic acid therapies for HD. Uh, Sarah has published over 350 peer-reviewed research papers in 2014, she was elected as a fellow of the UK Academy of Medical Sciences. In 2017, she received the seventh Leslie Gary Brenner Prize for Innovation in Science awarded by the Hereditary Disease Foundation. In 2018, she received the Cotsius Award from the Spanish Society of Neurology. And in 2019, the YAR Award at the World Congress for Neurology in the Alexander Morrison Medal from the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh. In 2022, she received the Osler Medal from the Association of Physicians of Great Britain in Ireland. Um, Dr. Tabrizi, I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Lauren. I'm delighted to be here and thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, so I want to start off with, um, how and why did you get involved in Huntington's research? Um, well, I've been involved in Huntington's research for uh, 26 years now. I started in 1996 uh, when I was doing my PhD. Uh, and um, I, my supervisor took me to a um, nursing home where we were getting skin biopsies from um, persons with the Huntington's disease and, and they had advanced Huntington's disease and I, it was the first time I'd ever heard of the disease other than at medical school um, uh, and it was the first time I'd seen a patient and it was very moving and I spent my PhD for three years studying Huntington's disease looking at mitochondrial um, abnormalities um, and I 
went back and took a lot of skin biopsies. And I really was touched by the families and patients um, uh, and moved by uh, my interactions with them. And then when I got an independent fellowship, I decided that's what I wanted to do was to help try and find a treatment for Huntington's disease. So awesome. Um, we are just uh, so lucky to have you. Um, well, I'm lucky to be part of the community. It's a great community. We do have a pretty great community. Yeah, here. we do. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the staging system. Um, so obviously, this is new news for the Huntington's community. It's, it's not been out long. Um, but how did it come about? So uh, really, it's been in evolution for a number of years. And it came through the Critical Path Regulatory Science Consortium for Huntington's disease, which is a a group of individuals, academic, industry, regulators, very close links with the FDA and CHDI. And it was really to try and move the field forward because the diagnosis of Huntington's disease and the, the staging systems that we had used had, have been around since the 1980s. And before the gene was found, uh, people who were working in Huntington's disease, like uh, brilliant people like Ira Shulson and Anne Young, uh, they had to be absolutely sure that someone had the disease because they didn't have a genetic test. And that was really has led to uh, the diagnosis being made when there was very unmistakable uh, motor or neurological signs. And that's been incredibly important. It's been very helpful. But as we get and move towards different therapies, we want to be able to study the disease um, across the whole spectrum. And that includes being able to do clinical trials in people um, decades before their predicted or potential onset. Uh, because I think what we know in neurodegenerative diseases is that will be the time that we have the greatest chance of having the biggest effect, I think. So it was really to develop a system that characterized Huntington's disease from birth. Not that the disease occurs from birth, but that the staging system uh, recognizes the fact that there's the presence of the mutant Huntington gene. So um, that was how it came about. And it came about really to help uh, have better trials, have trials that could be given earlier in the, in the progression of the disease. And um, we worked very closely with regulators who were very supportive of this approach. Awesome. Um, so let's talk about the, the stages in the staging system. Um, absolutely an overview of it. Yeah. So, uh, what, um, there's four stages, stage zero, stage one, two, and three. So stage zero is having just the presence of the HD gene with a CAG 40 or greater. 
There is nothing else to find. Stage zero is um, uh, uh, essentially just the gene. Stage one is when you develop a biomarker of disease. And we uh, uh, found that the cutoffs for stage one were a change in volume of the chordate and putamen, which was the most sensitive. Stage two is signs and symptoms of the disease. Now, people may not feel that they are unwell in any way, but there are just subtle changes on the total motor score and the symbol digit modality test, which is a thinking test. And then stage three is more commonly when the previous motor diagnosis, and that's when there's functional change, typically in the total functional capacity or the independence score, which are the landmarks. And um, that's divided into three stages, early, moderate and late. And that maps on very closely to the old Schulzen and Farn staging of one, two, three, four, five. So it really captures HD across the whole spectrum of the disease, and it covers every aspect of it. And so it allows us to do trials in stage three, and that's all happening, but also to consider trials in HDISS stage two which would be earlier in the progression of the disease and in the future when we have biomarkers stage zero and one. So you mentioned, okay, so stage three is where that typical clinical diagnosis comes in, right? You're showing some of those motor symptoms and then you would break that down into what we already see for that kind of clinical um, functional progression. That's right. It. So stage three is people probably would be typically when they have clear motor signs from late stage two, early stage three. Um, and stage three is divided into early, moderate and late. And that actually does map well onto the old Schulzen and Farn functional staging system with the total functional capacity. So um, it really uh, covers both symptomatic disease and also the whole gamut of disease before uh, the old motor onset. And I think it um, uh, is really allows us to get away from motor diagnosis and recognize the whole trajectory of the disease, which allows us to do earlier trials. And the pre, lots of terms that we tend to use, like pre-symptomatic, pre-manifest, prodromal, manifest, symptomatic. Um, if you wanted to compare them across different trials, then they don't have very clear meanings um, uh, for research. So for research, you have to have... Um, methods that have very rigorous statistical uh, power. And for that, you need to be able to have very clear definitions. And so unlike what we do in the clinic, on a research basis, the HDISS will help us define populations for clinical trials. Just to um, reiterate that it is for research. This is, an H this is for clinical research and for trials. Um, okay. Which, yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that because, um, it is not something that's for diagnosing 
Now, uh, it would be great to get it on that side of things. Um, and I think we'll eventually get there, but we have, have, we have to have a place to start. So it's really nice to, to have this. Um, so let's, I, I wanna go over stage zero, one and two really quick. So stage zero is that pre-symptomatic, like no symptoms at all type stage. Stage genetic zero test. is when there's just the genetic test and no change at all in the brain. So no change even in the chordate and putamen striatal volume. So stage zero, um, for example, with someone who would have, say, 42 repeats, stage zero would be from birth to roughly um, uh, typically um, in their mid 30s um, or maybe a bit later. So so um, dependent because obviously there's a range with the CAG 42. So on our graphs, we show the stages with uh, stage zero, and then someone will enter stage one and stage two, and then in stage three, it's the trajectory of the disease. So stage zero is essentially the genetic test and nothing else to find. Okay, and stage one would be different in in what way? That's that what we would consider. So prodromal... Can you describe what prodromal is versus pre-symptomatic? Because you're right, there's so many different terms and I don't think that people understand. So, well, actually we're trying to move away from all of those Good. because <laughs> no one really understands what they are. And that's exactly what you've uh, captured, Lauren. We want to get away from all those terms that no one really understands. Um, and prodromal used to be the 10 or so years before um, the old motor diagnosis. So I suppose in the new staging system, prodromal would match most closely to HDISS stage two. Stage two, okay. And that stage one. Stage one is when you have, the only change that you can see is when you have a slightly altered chordate or putamen volume that is below cutoffs for uh, uh, people with CAGs less than 36. So we looked at a lot of control data and developed cutoffs in the same way that you have cutoffs for height and weight for kids, um, uh, where you put them on charts and check that where they are. So what we did was a, a cutoff on chordate and putamen volume that allows uh, us to be able to say someone has moved from stage zero to stage one, and it's either a change in chordate or putamen volume. And that was the most sensitive landmark out of thousands that we looked at. And then stage one would be um, just that very subtle change in the volume of the striatum, nothing else to find. Um, uh, and this is... The reason the staging system is important is in the, the one day we will we'll be able to do trials in stage one, which um, were our people in the in the kind of previous system would have been thought of as a long time before motor diagnosis, decades. Right. And um, I just want to point out for those who don't know much about research, what she's talking about changes um, are are the changes in the brain and that can yes. be seen on scans, right? That's, That's right. 
That's you, thanks, you Lauren, for clarifying yeah. that. So this is an MRI scan that tells you about the volume of the striatum, the caudatum putamen, which are uh, regions we know that change very, very early in the um, development of the earliest uh, features of the disease because the staging system also captures what we all know is that changes occur in cells um, and so on uh, it, in terms of cells and the way that the um, uh, Huntington protein affects cells function and that happens a long time before people may show motor uh, uh, the motor symptoms or motor diagnosis and what we want in the staging system is to capture the whole biology of the of the disease in a way that allows us to do earlier trials so we haven't had the regulatory framework to do that all of our trials have had to be um, when people have very clear motor diagnosis and those trials will carry on and they're very important but we wanted to have the uh, uh, develop the techniques to be able to do trials in stage two, in stage one. And in, for example, in stage one, there's nothing to find other than some very subtle changes on the on MRI. But it might be that trials in that time have the biggest chance of having the biggest effect at preventing disease um, progression and potentially onset. Right. And that's what research has gone to. Right. Is that we see that um, that earlier, the earlier we can get to something, the better. Um, exactly. That's where we really are. And I that. think what we want and and um, this is what I hope is that we want to treat everyone. We want to treat everyone in stage three. But if we can show something in a stage two trial, for example, um, with a gene targeting therapy, that changes something in stage two, then I think the regulators, we want to develop, have the research framework now to be able to say, can we go to stage one trials when there's nothing to find that's clinical that you can measure um, on an examination or testing, but that will allow us to have biomarkers that allow us to do trials that are not um, five years long, but are say two years long with a biomarker um, that could be used as, as an endpoint. And so it's going to really give us that possibility to do trials to try and prevent future disease um, progression and possibly prevention of disease um, if given early enough. That's awesome. <laughs> um, I'm so excited about all of this, uh, you know, gene positive so that kind of yeah I think for people like you Lauren and other people who uh, may be listening this is something that has the potential to really change clinical trials we um, now are able to do earlier phase trials we haven't been able to do it before and this really impacts our ability to test these therapies um, and I, I just want to emphasize that this is for research. This is not for when you go to see your doctor. Um, this is for uh, research in observational studies, uh, but importantly, in clinical trials. Um, and so that's what I want to emphasize as well. The staging system is to do better clinical trials. 
um, and it will it will help all clinical trials, even, you know, the, the trials also that are happening in stage three, these will uh, it help, this staging system helps improve all trials. Yeah, it streamlines it, you know, it's something exactly. um, that happens with other disease groups, right? Alzheimer's, everything, they have staging systems for that purpose in order they do. to streamline. They- they do. And the most common staging system that we all know is cancer, stage mm-hmm. zero to stage four. Everyone knows what it is. Um, everyone knows what stage zero cancer is and, and, and as it progresses through one, two, three, four. And all cancers stage the same. Every cancer is staged the same. So if you compare one cancer with another and you say stage zero, everyone knows what you're talking about. And so for Huntington's disease, it means that when we have a conversation about a trial or a group of people and we see HDISS stage one, HDISS stage two, it will come that we will all know exactly what defines that group. And and that's really results in better research. And you're absolutely right. Alzheimer's disease um, and cancer and a number of other diseases really have had enormous successes with particularly cancer with staging systems with their staging system which is universal yeah yeah absolutely so we realize it's created for research but um do you see a benefit for neurologists and other medical professionals who see patients in a clinic to use it I think at the moment it's really for research because we don't do MRIs in clinic I do think it will help in the future, it will begin to be incorporated because when we see people in clinic, we typically say HD gene carrier. We say um, we use the Shulson and Farn staging um, uh, for GPs, but we tend to say early, moderate or late for a primary care physician so they understand. So I think it will come into clinical practice Um, But it was created for research, for trials. So I do see a benefit in the future once it becomes really mainstream, because it means that we all understand what a group of individuals are when we define their stage. So um, as it becomes used all the time for trials and research and recruitment, I think eventually it will impact on uh, neurologists and other medical professionals in clinic but I think um, that will that's not was not the aim to change the diagnosis or change diagnostic criteria. It was to have a staging system for research. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do think that um, in the future it will benefit those that are in that pre-symptomatic and you know stage one two area um, for the reason of. Of, of clinical diagnostic criteria um, because right now that subset, those subsets really don't go to neurologists because there's no point in going. Exactly. And so what exactly. happens is they fall through the cracks and they're not getting any type of 
um, proactive recommendations and resources available. And so I think that will eventually open up this, okay, now you have this opportunity, you're participating in clinical trials, but you also have this opportunity to see a doctor earlier and get resources earlier. And it brings assistance for those groups. Um, Absolutely, that Lauren, that's exactly. So we know all of us who work in the community know that there's a very long phase before the old DCL4 motor diagnosis diagnostic confidence score, which which happens late, uh, relatively late. And so the group that you've just described are key. And I think there hasn't been anything for for uh, uh, people in HDISS stage zero, one, two, and now that will allow that. It will allow the framework that they will be able to get involved in trials, but also things that the doctor and the other medical professionals can help. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exactly right, Lauren. That's what that's what we hope. I also think that it brings in rather than just a, a movements, you know, specialist neurologist. We tend to think of that like the movement disorder neurologist. It'll bring in that neuropsych side of things and. Um, Absolutely. I'm I'm so big on neuropsych and I think it's so important. I already see somebody, um, you know, every, um, I just had a test done, um, a neuropsych test done um, to compare to six years ago. So um, I think it's so important to bring that in. I agree. I I um, completely agree. We can't just focus on one part of the of the disease, the movement disorder, uh, the neuropsychology, the thinking problems, other issues or and other symptoms and signs are also important. And and also there's a we need to recognize that there's a whole spectrum and that we need to support people across the whole spectrum uh, clinically. And you're absolutely like, right, Lauren. And I hope the staging system will allow that. Yeah, I, I do believe that it will. I think it really just opens doors. So super excited about it. Super Thank excited you. about being Thank able you, to Lauren. do it in the future as well and participate in clinical trials. Absolutely. Um, Cause people can go along to their neurologist, their uh, health professional now and uh, they can be staged and then there's trials for them. Now, the trials at the moment are all focusing on HDISS stage two, but we will get to state HDISS stage zero and one trials. And that's the aim. Um, uh, and I think this is going to be very important for the field. And it's happening faster than um, than we think, because um, obviously we're all urgent, like there's the sense of urgency. We, we need to, we need to get in there because we are, we have limited time. Um, but something that you said really resonated with me in that it takes it from five years to two years. That's huge. Um, yes, huge. you know, to, to make, to, to make that change because that's years back. I mean, exactly. It, it gives us time. So it's, uh, it allows us to do better trials and develop things that may, you know, what we want to do is is develop therapies that can be tested that might prevent um, disease, the old disease onset, motor onset. Yeah. Wow. All exciting stuff. Perfect for a a Thanksgiving show. Um, (laughs) Do you have any final thoughts for the community before I let you go? No, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me. I am 
honored to be part of the HD community. And I wish all of you um, who are listening in the US and Canada a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you. And um, with today being Thanksgiving in the US, I want to thank you and tell you how much we appreciate how hard you fight oh. for us. Uh, without dedicated professionals like you, we would not be where we are today in creating change and moving things forward. So thank you so much. And we hope that you have the happiest of holidays as we move into the rest of the holiday season. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. All the best. Um, thank those, you. Yeah. For those listening, um, please make sure that you are tuning in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we have some good shows coming up for December. We're going to get Katie and Katrina on for the recent um, law enforcement conference that they went to to talk about that. It's super exciting. They got to meet a celebrity who was very excited to learn about HD. So we'll talk about that. Uh, and, you know, as we go into the holidays, there are webinars coming up. Um, and the things like that for surviving the holidays. I always want tips and tricks from people for surviving the holidays. So please share them. And until next time, guys, love you guys and take care. Bye. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.helpforhd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications.